Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 127. Today, we are talking about the disappearance of Ray Rivera, which has been very highly requested by you guys. Tons of people have been talking about it in the true crime community lately because of the reboot of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Really, really well done. And they did their first episode on Ray Rivera. There's so much more to look into than what they covered, though. So oh, yeah. We're really excited to do this episode because we just we have so much to say about this case. It is so insane. Yeah, and it's one of those just mysteries that have stood the test of time and like yeah. it's so there's so many possibilities to this case and there's just so many different theories to discuss as well. So we're going to dive very deep into all of that. But before we get into those news topics, I want to remind everybody that Kendall and Janelle's new show, The Sesh, launched. And what, you guys have two episodes out now? Yeah, I think by the time this goes up, there should be two episodes Mm -hmm. out. And if you've not seen it yet, it's very different from Mile Higher. It's much more casual. It's a variety show. We're covering everything from trending topics on the internet, which we call spicy topics, Mm -hmm. um, to we've been actually our last episode was mainly on astrology. So if you are interested in that type of stuff, I think you would really enjoy it. But it's every week is different. Um, Like I said, it's very casual, kind of like, you know, feel like you're hanging out with friends type of show. Just very, you know, as we go, it kind of whatever. Yeah, it's very chill. Yeah. (laughs) What am I trying to say? Because like there's so many episodes of Mile Higher that, you know, might leave you a little bit stressed out at the end, especially like today's like because some of these mysteries, I mean, God, they really send you into you know, down the rabbit hole and into all these thought loops. So it's kind of nice to have something more chill. It is. And I like having something that I can just, you know, connect with people more personally and just talk from my heart versus making sure we get all this information. We always have so much to go through that we don't have as much time for, you know, conversation as much as I'd like. The last episode we did specifically, like Kendall said, it was on astrology, but we we uh, talked about our own birth charts that you guys could kind of get to know us a little bit better, but in a more fun way than just like, here's our about me. (laughs) So check that out if you're interested. And we tried to break it down in a way that makes sense if you're not at all familiar with astrology. Um, But yeah, follow us. Um, We'll leave the links down below so you guys can find us wherever on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. And follow us on social media at the underscore sesh podcast. But let's go ahead and talk about some of the news stories that we came across this week. Yeah. So the first one is regarding a major storm that has been ravaging Iowa uh, this past week. Specifically on August 10th, something known as a Derishow went through Iowa and just destroyed a bunch of land and buildings and just wreaked havoc all over the state. Now, I've never even heard of this. And when you first look at it, it looks like it's it's pronounced uh, Derecho. Or Derecho. Yeah, but it's Derichow. Derichow. Derichow, I believe is how you pronounce it. But a Derichow is a widespread, long-lived straight-line windstorm that is associated with a fast-moving group of severe thunderstorms known as a mesoscale convection system and potentially rivals hurricanic and tornadic forces. So it can literally cause hurricane force winds, tornadoes, heavy rains, and flash floods. So this area of the country is already known as Tornado Alley. So they already have to deal with tornadoes every year. But then to add on this hurricane force winds on top of all of that, including heavy rains and flash flood, I mean, this is just... Flat out scary. scary. Yeah, I've never heard of something like this. I actually had some subscribers messaging me about it from Iowa saying that they're not getting enough coverage and, you know, a lot of people are without 
water and power yeah. right now really struggling and yeah. just devastated. Yeah, over a quarter million people are without power in northern Illinois. That's a lot of people. Why are we not covering this as much on mainstream news? Like why do they pick some because storms and not others? Politics is more more juicy for them to talk about. But hurricanes, they hurricanes end up having so much coverage. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, it's very weird how that works that, yeah. you know, if it's got Hurricane Andrew, mm-hmm. you know, they'll cover that, but not, you know, just a... Well, yeah, Hurricane Andrew was pretty insane. That was like 12 years <laughs> ago. <laughs> That's true. That's a bad comparison, but you yeah, know what I mean. I, like, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, they do, they make a big deal out of the hurricane coverage. Like right. sometimes they'll do days of coverage, you know, just hours and hours and hours, but then 300,000 people were affected by this and we're not really hearing about it. Yeah. And not only that, over 10 million acres of crops have been destroyed there. And I was obviously a big, big place for crops to be grown. So that's going to have a major impact on the economy there in Iowa because so much of it is, you know, derived from crops and farming and all that. So this is an absolutely devastating storm. And it's, I guess it's kind of rare to have something uh like a direct hit. yeah hit it must be i mean or else we would hear about it a lot more yeah so That's for those crazy. that are dealing with that i mean hope you're all right and staying safe and we will leave a link in the description box for you guys to donate to those affected if you would like to help out because they're going to need all that they can get absolutely we also have some nasa news this week yeah this is pretty cool so nasa announced that in just six short months if everything goes according to plan and testing all goes well, they're going to be sending uh, NASA's Perseverance rover, which will be going to Mars and obviously landing on the surface of, of the planet. And once it's there, what's cool about this particular rover is that inside there's basically this spring loaded arm, which will flip out a four pound helicopter called Ingenuity. And hopefully this rotorcraft, as you're calling it, will essentially be able to fly over the top of Mars, giving us an aerial view of the planet, unlike anything we've ever seen before. Because, I mean, the only types of rovers we've had out there in space have been crawling over the surface of the Mm -hmm. planet. And obviously, you know, how much can you really see when it's just going across the surface? That's so true. I didn't even consider how helpful a helicopter would be. Yeah, well, not only, I mean... It's like a drone. Yeah, exactly. It's like they created their own drone to hopefully be able to fly over the top of Mars. Get more of a landscape view. Yeah, exactly. So the only caveat to this is that NASA's engineers don't know for sure whether or not this helicopter is actually going to be able to fly on Mars because Mars atmosphere is only about 1% the density of Earth's and its gravity is way lower. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, there's not a real easy way to test right. that out <laughs> here, you know, other than in a controlled environment, mm-hmm. but still like you just yeah. don't never know. How can you mimic it perfectly? So they could spend all this money and time getting this rover to Mars oh and it just doesn't fly and it doesn't go anywhere. Wow. That would suck. But if it does, it's going to be huge because that's going to be able to open up so many more possibilities for, you know, the search on Mars. Cause is there still life on Mars? I think that's the biggest, mm-hmm. biggest question still. There's evidence of life there in the past yeah. water beneath the surface and everything like that. So maybe with a helicopter, we'll actually be able to see, you know, into some of these areas that we would, we've never even known existed before. Yeah. And imagine the photographs like they'd be able oh, to get. I know. That. Like, I'm like cool. trying to picture it. It would look really cool and seeing the horizon, possibly seeing other planets from Mars. Yeah. It would just be cool to see what it looks like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause I mean, I think this still the plan is to hopefully get humans there by like 20, 
40 or something like yeah. which we're going to see it in our lifetime. That's crazy. We'll at least see them attempt to get humans there. That's for sure. I think they'll be able to do it. Maybe. I think so too. Probably. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool that they're, they're doing that. The other uh, bit of news that we have is revolving around UFOs. We love talking about UFOs. Oh yes. And I'm sure we've, we've kind of talked about this before. We, I know yes, we've mentioned, sure. you know, the Pentagon and their whole program that was secret. Then they came out and basically announced it to the world. Yeah. But in that, they also said that they dissolved this particular UFO research program that the Pentagon was running. Well, they just decided that they're going to form a new task force to investigate UFO sightings because obviously UFO sightings are not going away. No. There's continuing to be new sightings almost every day, it seems like. Yeah. And now, especially with everyone having smartphones, everyone's capturing them, you know, on their own. Yeah. And all across the world. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure UFO sightings are continuing to increase Mm -hmm. uh, as the years go by. So, you know, we're still unsure as to what those are. Yeah. They're unidentified flying objects. Right. Right. Is it aliens flying around or is it just, you know, some type of drone or something like that? But that's, that's the bigger mystery here. So Mm -hmm. their goal is to research these, you know, UFOs because for one, uh, the military has come out and admitted that they have a number of different UFOs on record. And, you know, some of the videos that were released were of these, particular ufos but they literally don't know what they are they they think that potentially you know rather than saying they're aliens that these could just be one of our adversaries you know top secret you know weapons or or spacecraft or you know aircraft that they have that we just don't know of but there's nothing that's come out from around the world to suggest that that is true in the least bit but that's what the government's really saying is that these UFOs are most likely a threat and that we should be concerned about them because it could be, you know, our enemies flying around stuff and yeah, you very know, well doing whatever, be. spying on us or whatever. So, and even if it is aliens, they very well could be our enemies as well. It yeah. could be a threat. Yeah. It's been a very interesting time in the UFO community. It's just mm-hmm. so split and there's, there's almost, it, it's like this solid line down the middle of like people that believe you know, one narrative about it that, Mm -hmm. you know, these UFOs are a national security threat. And then the other side believe that these UFOs are pose no risk to us whatsoever. Possibly could be helping us. Right. And if it is some type of extraterrestrial intelligence that they're here in peace and they're trying to maybe signal to us or, you know, Mm -hmm. help us advance in some way. So Mm -hmm. it's very interesting. And, you know, I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about, you know, the military investigating this and, you know, continuing to sort of push this narrative that they're, they're a threat to our national security yeah. and that we should be worried about it. Yeah. Uh, because I am too. if you know anything about project blue beam. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We should be worried about project blue beam. You know, if you believe in mm-hmm. that theory or conspiracy or whatever that, you know, perhaps they're going to fake some type of alien invasion or, or something like that through mm-hmm. holographic, you know, UFOs per se, uh, definitely something to consider, but because we all know that fear is like the biggest aspect right, right. when it comes to control. Absolutely. And a lot of people believe that like the next thing that we sh- we're going to need to be worried about is like being attacked from space. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're going to try to try to make happen so that, you know, they're able to spend all the money they want and take control of space. I mean, ultimately the country wants to take control of whatever, you know, entity that they're, they're, 
you know, protecting or trying to gain access to. So they think space is going to be that next frontier that we're going to take over. And use similarly to how they've used war in the past right. to control us and change the narrative. Right. You know, that we need to like team up against these space invaders. Mm-hmm. And when in fact that it could all be, we should do a whole episode on that. What project blue beam. Mm-hmm. We could, <laughs> we yeah, could dive down that rabbit would hole like to see for it. sure. I'm surprised we haven't. We've talked about it so many times that it feels like we have, but we haven't actually fully gone over the theory. No, there's a lot of theories we haven't fully gone over. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, let us know what you guys think about that. Um, but let's go ahead and get into the absolutely mysterious disappearance of Ray Rivera. But before we do, we'd like to thank our first sponsors for today. All right, so let's get into the Ray Rivera case. This one is pretty insane. So Ray was born on June 10th, 1973. His parents were Angel and Maria Rivera. And he also has a brother named Angel, who Janelle and I agree is very good looking. (laughs) (laughs) Ray attended film school and also worked as a financial writer and freelance videographer in California for Agora Incorporated. Yeah, that's the real, real big thing with Ray is he's definitely into film and mm-hmm. filmmaking, and that's definitely his passion in life. Is he really had dreams and aspirations of working in Hollywood and and you know working on big budget films and, mm-hmm. and all of that. He actually stopped working for Agora full time in 2005 and took a contract job producing videos for the same company instead. Yeah, again, he's just really passionate about filmmaking. So right around this time that he quit working for Agora, he also got married to his longtime love. Allison and they got married actually at a private ceremony in Puerto Rico and they planned to start a family together. But Ray didn't feel like his work as a freelance producer was stable enough to support his family. So that's when Ray's old friend Porter Stansberry offered him a job at his company in Baltimore called Stansberry and Associates. Now this becomes very important in this case. This is a financial services company that provides investment advice and research. Yeah, so basically they, you know, help you buy stock and, and all of that. And they also have like newsletters and articles that they put out for, you know, like what types of stocks you should buy and kind of give people uh, and their clients financial advice. So the thing about Porter Stansberry is that him and Porter knew each other all the way back to high school. They actually went to mm-hmm. prom together. They were longtime buddies, buddies, went to college. So they were like best of friends. And so it was great timing for Ray, because he really needed a more stable income. So Porter said, hey, why don't you come work for me? So that's exactly what he did. And Porter's company is actually a subsidiary of Agora. So what's interesting about this guy, Porter, is he actually was friends with Ray pretty close. And they had been friends for a long time, going back to high school. They were on the same water polo team and knew each other really well. Porter even went to Ray and Allison's wedding in Puerto Rico, and he flew in on a private helicopter. So Ray was excited to start this new job at Porter's company. So when he accepted the job, he and Allison relocated from California to North Baltimore. Big change. Yeah. And one thing I want to note about that is a lot of people seem to think that he went there without Allison, that there was a period of time when he first moved to North Baltimore where Allison wasn't actually with him for a short period of time. And And we don't fully know that. We, I'm pretty sure we do know that there was a time period. I don't know if it was a couple of weeks or, or a month or whatever. Unclear. It's kind of unclear, but it is important to note that she wasn't there from day one as soon as he moved to Baltimore. So he was working at this company as a financial writer and a videographer. 
And what Ray really wanted to do, like we mentioned earlier, was write movie scripts and make his own films one day. Very creative person. Yeah, I mean, he would spend hours and hours of his free time, you know, writing in his journals and coming up with scripts and screenplays and 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 all that. He was really passionate about filmmaking for sure. But by all accounts, Ray's life seemed to be right on track. He was a tall six foot five and handsome with a contagious smile. Yeah, he was good looking too. that whole family. (laughs) (laughs) Thirsty over here. (laughs) So every someone's hot without being thirsty. What the fuck? No, we ain't thirsty. We just know what good looking people look like. Okay. Don't be jealous. (laughs) Yeah. Josh's like, okay, thirsty. (laughs) But at this time, Ray was truly happy. I mean, from all accounts of everybody around him, he seemed to be really enjoying his life. This was like a great move for him and Allison to, you know, go to Baltimore and work for, uh, his friend Porter's company and they mm-hmm. had a really nice house in Baltimore too. So they were kind of living the dream. Like everything was, was seemingly, mm-hmm. you know, working out the way that it should have been. So there was no sort of, you know, red flags or anything like that initially. Or so it seemed. So as far as what we know, Ray and his wife, Allison had a very close and loving relationship. Mm-hmm. And once when Allison was away for work, she found a lucky penny with the shape of a heart cut out of it. And when she got home, she gave Ray the penny and told him, Whenever you need me, you hold this penny and know I'm close. Oh, that's cute. Ray put the penny in a bowl on his dresser. And Allison had also given him a money clip. And this is very important in this story. This was a family heirloom. It's really cool looking. We'll put in a picture if you're watching. Very unique piece. And this was something that Ray always had with him. He used it, you know, as a wallet to hold his ID and cards and cash and stuff like that. But it was just kind of a part of who he was. Like multiple friends say, yeah, Ray always had that. He would never, you know, get a different wallet or anything. He was just, it was a hugely important item to him. Yeah, absolutely. So at this point in time, everything is completely normal. There's nothing that seems weird or out of the ordinary as far as we know before Ray goes missing. So in the spring of 2006, Ray was 32 years old. He had no history of mental illness and no public enemies either. But he had grown tired of the nine to five life and he wanted more freedom to pursue his creative career. And according to his friend, Porter Stansberry and also his employer, Ray had actually resigned from his job at Stansberry and Associates six months prior. So again, he wasn't like an employee there, but I think there was kind of some contract work Mm -hmm. going on there. But he was, yeah, trying to pursue his dream of, you know, being a screenwriter. Now Porter said that Ray didn't have a plan when he quit and that he was under a lot of financial pressure. And that's just according to his friend. So at this period of time, according to Porter, the relationship was still good. There was no, you know, hard feelings or anything like that Mm -hmm. between them after he stopped working for him. Now, what's also interesting is that Ray and Allison had actually planned to move back to California because that's where they were from. And after a trip to Los Angeles, Ray started acting strange. It seemed like he was nervous all the time and he started worrying about Allison whenever she left the house. That's concerning. It is. So during the few weeks leading up to his disappearance, something seemed to be bothering Ray a lot. And at one point, someone even tried to break into their house a few times, tripping their home alarm twice. There's two separate incidents where just in the middle of the night, I think it was like what three in the morning or something. It was so creepy, really late. And all of a sudden their alarm system started going off and they would call the police and everything and there would be nothing. 
But what they did find, I believe on the second time was that one of the windows on the main floor had been messed with Mm -hmm. and somebody had been trying to get into the house. So from all accounts, it looks like somebody tried to make access to the house, Mm -hmm. but they didn't. And the police kept like chalking up to a squirrel yeah, or something. Say, I'm like, I thought it was squirrel. Squirrel yeah. setting off the alarm. And They're like, like, oh, it was the squirrel that ruffled, like ruffled something. Uh, and then okay. How like, does that even uh, work, first of all? Yeah, alarms, why would a squirrel set off an alarm? More like they don't want to investigate. They just have a squirrel like lifting the bottom of the window, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get in. Oh my God. Like, that makes no sense. But that's apparently what the police told uh, Allison and Ray. But obviously this freaked the couple out a lot, and especially Ray. On the first time that this happened in the middle of the night, Ray shot out of bed and ran to the basement with a baseball bat. And Allison said that when she found him, he had this crazed look in his eye and was just petrified, like like terrified. She she's like, I'll never forget this because the the look of fear in his eyes in this man was just beyond anything I had ever seen before. So that right there tells you that he's worried. He was worried that somebody might be trying to get into the house and mm-hmm. he may have known prior to this incident or just that he knew of someone who might want to hurt him or Allison, him being worried about her leaving the house. I mean, it's obvious he probably got into some shit mm-hmm. and was starting to get freaked out about it. Right. Right. So both of these events really just triggered Ray and he became very, very stressed after all of this a week before he disappeared. Allison was actually training for a triathlon and she was going to the local track in order to run sprints. She always went by herself and never had any issues. But on this particular day, Ray insisted that he go with her, even though he was working on a deadline at the moment. The track was usually full of people walking and exercising, but it was raining and almost completely empty. And that's when Ray saw a man approach Allison. So he ran out to the track and freaked the fuck out. Ray seemed extremely terrified for her life, even though at that point the man hadn't done anything and left shortly after. But the fact that he's just paranoid Mm -hmm. to the point where he sees anybody approach her, to me that just signifies that he was worried that somebody was going to come and hurt either of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible he knew of someone threatening to hurt her. Right, right. There was some type of threat. Won't even let her be alone. I mean, it's so obvious. But she doesn't know this. She's being kept in the dark about whatever he's worried about at this point in time. Mm-hmm. She's just like, he's acting weird. And this was unusual for Ray. Like it was definitely a major change in his behavior and mm-hmm. just his personality he became very almost paranoid and scared and definitely wasn't acting like his normal self. Like she, she remembers that a hundred percent. What's also interesting is that during these few weeks leading up to his disappearance, Ray started reading The Builders, A Story and Study of Freemasonry by Joseph or Noon. Bing, bing, bing. There's so many cases where the person was really into Freemason stuff and then they like disappeared or something weird happened to them. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's so many conspiracies surrounding the Freemasons, a secret society for those that don't know, a fraternal organization, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, a lot of people just say it's like, you know, any other fraternity that just happens to be a secret society as well. We get comments all the time from people that are like, oh, my uncle or my dad or my grandpa's in it. My grandpa's a Freemason. Yeah, your grandpa is. Yeah. Or was. Um, but I mean, that's what now, we're but. told, right? Yeah. Uh, well, There's some interesting things when it comes to Freemasonry. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest theories is that they're somehow, you know, a part of the New World Order conspiracy and, mm-hmm. you know, people that are in the high, 
you know, levels of government and, you know, Illuminati potentially are also Freemasons. Mm -hmm. But again, we don't, we don't know for sure, but it is interesting that Ray was really diving deep into Freemasonry. It is. Cause there's a quote from the book that reads, man was not meant to be a cringing being eaten up by anxiety, shut up a prisoner in silent loneliness, living in blind cruelty. He was meant for great adventures. If he has the insight to see the laws of life and the key of kindness to unlock the doors and in his quest for the best in others, he will discover something in himself not guessed before for each of us though. We may not be clever or commanding, but only average and unknown life can be winged and wonderful, full of meaning and music. If we have the faith to trust the God who made us and the wisdom to live, love and learn. That's a very, almost like cryptic quote. I feel like very deep too. So Ray was absolutely fascinated by the Freemasons and he wanted to learn as much as he could about the organization because he believed that the Freemasons could be controlling various aspects of the movie industry in Hollywood, which he thought, Hey, if I can get into the Freemasons, then maybe that will help me get, you know, that job in the, in Hollywood that I want, you know, and mm-hmm. hopefully get me in I that like inner circle. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We know that this is true because Ray actually had several conversations with Brad Hopman, his close childhood friend about joining the Freemasons And he was very interested in the 1999 film by Stanley Kubrick, Eyes Wide Shut, which is an erotic psychological drama about a secret society. So it's almost like I wonder if he wanted to be a part of it to be also part of it because it's a secret society or if it was just more of a career move for him. Like, I just want to join it to then get me that job. But it seems to me like he was actually really interested in being just a part of a secret society. Well, I feel like joining Freemasons is a pretty big deal. I mean, it's not just something you would do to get a job, right? You'd probably research it a little more than that and try to understand what it is. Yeah. Well, and it's not like you can just go sign up and get into it. You know, you got to be invited into it. So maybe he was trying to figure out a way to be invited into it. Like maybe if I know enough about it, then they'll let me in or I'll get an invite from somebody. But the weekend before he disappeared, Ray stayed in bed for a whole day and seemed very depressed. The week before, he had actually asked Brad if he could stay in his top floor Jersey City apartment by himself. Mm. His friend Brad thought this was a very strange request, and he felt that Ray was acting, quote, really, really weird. But he ended up returning the key to Brad before actually making the trip. That's very interesting, and I don't know if there's any significance to that at all, but... He was planning to go be by himself in this it's, apartment. It's weird that it's a top floor thing Yeah, I mean, for reasons we'll get into. But Yeah, it is. That's a good point. Absolutely. So on May 14th, Allison and Ray went to church for a special service for Mother's Day. Once they got home, he made a call and left a voice message, which Allison overheard. And it said, quote, hey, man, give me a call back. I finally got it all figured out. And they find out that it is Porter who he had called and Porter was unclear what it meant and didn't have any other insight to provide about this when Angel Ray's brother asked about it later. But hey man, give me a call back. I finally got it all figured out. This is two days before he goes missing. So right there, that's telling me that Porter knows something. Yeah, 100%. He knows something about what's going to happen next. So let's talk about the day that Ray actually disappeared. 
It was May 16th, 2006, and it just seemed like any other normal day at the Rivera household. At the time, Ray and Allison had a house guest staying with them, and Ray was having a busy day as normal. Early in the day, he had a conversation with a member of the Maryland Freemason Lodge, and they talked about his interest in joining. Then he went out for a bit and bought Freemasons for Dummies at a local bookstore. That's really interesting that That on the very day he disappears, he's Mm -hmm. seemingly trying to get into the Freemasons. Yeah. He calls a video technician company to rent equipment for the weekend, and this call was made around 4 p.m., and a worker noted that Ray seemed pressured for time, but overall laid back and friendly, and he seemed simply pressed against making a deadline. Stress out. Just completely stressed out with with everything going on. And then Ray's just back at the house working. And at one point he receives a mysterious phone call and the house guest that was staying with them took note of this, but they assumed that it was just a call from work. Now we don't know who the house guest is, which is kind of weird. Um, But shortly after taking the call, Ray suddenly hurried out of the house around 6 30 PM. Like frantically leaves the house. Frantically. just in a rush, doesn't doesn't like get ready or like do you know do anything? Gets off the phone and yeah. leaves. He's just wearing flip flops and you know normal clothes because he had just been working from home that day and takes off. And he had his phone with him when he left. And they also think that he probably had that money clip I was telling you guys about at the beginning of the show. This was something that he had got from Allison, and like I said, he always had it with him. He had about $20 in cash and he left in Allison's car. And after that, Ray never came home. Just disappeared. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. Like one of those disappearances that just gives me chills. It makes no sense. And it really seems like he left on purpose. But where did he go? Right. So later, you know, later that night, Allison's trying to figure out where he went. Nobody's seen him. Nobody's heard from him. They can't call him on the phone. The phone's dead. So that at that point, they start freaking out because they're like, okay, something clearly happened to Ray. This is very unusual for him to not let me know where he went or yeah. when he'd be back. So that's when Allison contacts the police. And basically, they spend that night just frantically trying to call around to all the hospitals, you know, all the normal things that you do if somebody goes missing. You know, mm-hmm. you call the hospitals to see if maybe got in an accident or something. And there's just a, you know, John Doe somewhere that, you know, is unidentified for some reason or he's confused or he's confused or something like that. And, you know, calling around all over the place and nobody has seen him. No, it's like he just vanished. There's no traces. Ray's brother, Angel, was very, very concerned about him. He actually flew in from Orlando that night. So he knew something was just completely wrong. Porter Stansbury also joined the search efforts and offered a reward amount for a thousand dollars, which isn't that much. I mean, this guy's like does pretty well, but anyway, um, he also tried to hire a private investigator and Porter up the reward at that point to 5,000, which both of those things are kind of up in the air. I think I haven't seen concrete evidence that they actually hired a private investigator. I believe Mm -hmm. that Porter was looking into it or maybe started that process. And I also saw some people that said Porter raised the reward money to $5,000. But then again, the flyers that they put out said a $1,000 reward for information leading to the return of either the car or Ray. Because at this point, they knew he left in Allison's car, but they nobody had even seen the car as well. That was missing too. So Allison and Angel searched all over town that night and even contacted the media for help. And lucky for them, the media actually 
took them somewhat seriously. Like they got media coverage like right away on this Mm -hmm. and they started running stories about, you know, there's a missing man. Have you seen this guy? And so basically everybody in Baltimore was looking for Ray at this point. But for the first few days, there was really nothing. And Allison was so, so worried. I mean, she really, really loved Ray and could not believe that he was just gone and she didn't have any answers. So after several days of looking for him, their family was just literally driving around the city, seeing if they could spot his car. You know, if they can find his car, maybe they can find him. And they finally did find his car. And it was in a parking lot off St. Paul Street near his office. But Ray was nowhere to be found. There was no other clues left behind but his vehicle. But this does help us to know that at some point he, you know, that's where he took the car. Yeah, or which somebody, this is Allison's car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it does at least give you, uh, you know, sort of an epicenter to start a search from. Because right. clearly the car got there some way, and mm-hmm. we know he left in the car. So most likely he drove to this parking lot. But, you yeah. know, at this parking lot to like, where did he go from here? We right. have no idea. I know it makes it more complicated, but, you know, it's better than nothing. And obviously when they found the car, they they searched through his car. They turned it upside down to try to find any clues whatsoever or look for, you know, maybe a cell phone or something like that that was maybe left in the vehicle. But there is absolutely nothing. no clues or evidence to suggest where Ray had gone in the vehicle. That's crazy. Imagine how you'd feel as a family just with nothing. To like you're from. like, oh, we found his car. We'll, yeah. we'll find something or, you know hint or a clue of where he went and more confused no and there's just buildings high-rise buildings all around this area so not long after they found ray's vehicle they decided to start looking in the surrounding areas to see where he might have gone now a few of ray's co-workers actually who also happened to be his friends decided to go take a look at the top of a parking structure which was right next to the belvedere hotel which it's actually called the belvedere building now The hotel was a very historic building that's been in this Mount Vernon neighborhood in Baltimore for a very long time. In fact, it was constructed in 1903, but they actually converted the hotel into condos in 1991. So when Ray's coworkers went to the edge of this parking structure, they looked over onto the lower roof of this annex of the Belvedere building. And that's when they noticed a hole in the roof. And this was a pretty small hole, too. It wasn't like the whole roof caved in or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It looked like something had literally just fallen from the sky and put a hole into the top of this this building. Mm -hmm. Something heavy enough. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't massive. Because, I mean, this building, I mean, it's got like metal, you know, metal structure underneath it to provide support for the roof. So something had to have fallen with great force in order to put a hole in it. Mm hmm. But of course, when they discovered that there was just this unknown hole that the the building didn't know about, they told police and that's when police actually went into this annex part of the building and discovered Ray's decomposing body, which was just lying beneath the hole, essentially. And this was six days after he had disappeared at this point. Yeah, the people who went you know, and actually found him said that it was pretty rough. The scene, like it was just disgusting. Yeah. I mean, decomposing Mm -hmm. for, you know, six days definitely is going to be rough. And then not only that, his injuries were extremely Mm -hmm. severe, which we'll talk about what happened with him there, but obviously speculation around what happened to him began immediately. And unfortunately, if he was murdered or he was pushed, you know, if it wasn't suicide, as it looked at first glance, it was nearly impossible to make out, 
you know, any determination as far as any other injuries from somebody else because his body was in such poor condition. In fact, the detective that had originally worked on the case said Ray's autopsy was brutal reading. Multiple ribs fractured, punctured lungs, lacerations, damage to a skull. The right leg had two different breaks in it to the point where the bone was protruding through the flesh. Now, all these injuries were consistent with a large fall, but there was also some unexplained injuries. And the medical examiner who performed the autopsy actually declared the cause of death as undetermined, meaning that they didn't feel there was enough evidence to prove suicide. Because I think just off of first glance, everybody's first... yeah reaction mm-hmm. to this is that he must have jumped off of the Belvedere mm-hmm. building and fell through the roof from a, a top story yeah. to that roof. Cause the roof is like halfway up. So based on the fact that there was a hole in the lower annex roof of the Belvedere building and the fact that Ray was found in the condition he was found in the police really were leaning towards suicide. And even though the medical examiner said that it was undetermined, that was still the sort of route the police were, were going with, with the investigation. Now what's crazy is that the police actually found Ray's cell phone and his glasses, his sunglasses on the lower roof, which he had fallen through. And what's crazy is that there was barely any scratches on them mm-hmm. and his cell phone actually still worked. No way. So if he jumped off of the building, which this is, you know, over 11 stories tall, I think it's like mm-hmm. 14 or something in total. His cell phone, if it had been with him during the fall, would have scratched at least. Probably. I mean, especially if it was separate from, if it was like in his pocket the whole time, it'd be a different story. But it being found out, it almost seemed like it was possibly placed there. Yeah. And the detective that actually was on the scene originally said it appeared staged because whose sunglasses don't break after falling with them? Yeah, for real. That far. There's no way. And not only that, they recovered the flip-flops that he was wearing. And not only that, one of the flip-flops had a strap completely missing. But they were mostly fine. Also, probably the most notable thing was that Ray's money clip was never found. That heirloom that he carried around with him was never located. And Allison especially thinks that's very, very weird Mm -hmm. that he wasn't found with that money clip. Because he should have had that on him. Yeah, is it possible someone took it? It is possible for sure. So the only thing that the police found on Ray's person was the penny with the heart-shaped cutout that Allison had given him, and that was found in his pocket. Now, this penny was always in the bowl on Ray's dresser, and unlike the money clip, he never took it with him. So Allison had no idea why he happened to take the penny that day with him. And the only explanation is that he knew he needed to feel extra support and love Mm -hmm to get through whatever challenge he was about to face. Yeah, I bet that's it. Or maybe he knew he wouldn't be coming back. Yeah, he just wanted wanted it with him. The memory of her, yeah. And once investigators learned about this mysterious phone call that Ray had answered prior to leaving the house for the last time, the police thought, hey, okay, we've got something there. Clearly, you know, whoever called him may have had something to do with his death and his disappearance. So they were able to trace the call And when they traced it, it went back to a switchboard at Agora. So the company he had been working for, but there was no way for police to trace it any farther than that because obviously the switchboard is going to have a bunch of extensions Mm -hmm. off of it and they weren't able to nail it back to a specific person. Right. So it was really kind of, you know, a glimmer hope, but then it quickly died. Yeah. Yeah. 
And when police interviewed the house guests that had been staying with them, and again, we don't know who this house guest was as far as what we could find. I couldn't find a name or I don't even know if they've ever released who this person was that Just happened so to be at the weird. house. It's very weird. House guest. This, they refer to him as house guest that was staying there. Or her. We don't know. Yeah. Him or her. And apparently the house guests overheard some of the conversation. They said it sounded like Ray had forgotten something significant. It was almost like he was late for an appointment and getting there was extremely urgent. And I guess this house guest was a she and she has cooperated with police, but has chosen to remain anonymous throughout all this because I think they are fearful of what whoever did this to Ray, you know, might take retribution on anybody else that is somehow helping in the investigation. But the fact that she wanted to be anonymous is definitely interesting. So during the investigation, the police ended up searching Ray and Allison's computers. And on the day Allison was scheduled to pick them up from the police station, someone called multiple times asking about the computers and wanted to come get them. And when the police told Allison about these unusual calls, she had no idea who this caller could be, but it definitely left her with a terrible feeling. Allison then told the police about their security alarms going off two nights in a row shortly before Ray disappeared. And it was at that point that the police actually went to the house and fingerprinted that windowsill that she said they were trying to get into. And I don't think anything came out of that, but that was at the point that the police were like, Oh, it must've been a squirrel that set it off. (laughs) Yeah. Should have done that way sooner. Yeah. Which obviously Allison's like, what do you mean? It's a fucking squirrel. Like clearly there's something going Mm -hmm. on here. Somebody was trying to get in. And then the whole situation at the track as well, how the man just walked up to her. Yeah. I think she started piecing it all together and and realizing, holy shit, there was someone after him, somebody after him. Yeah. So again, because police really didn't have anything to go off of, there was really no evidence that suggested foul play for them to really investigate. And, you know, from all of the injuries he sustained and, you know, the hole in the roof, the police really quickly came to the conclusion that, Ray committed suicide. So that was essentially what they went with. And even though the medical examiner ruled it undetermined, that's where they stopped their investigation. So before we get into some of the many theories that are out there regarding Ray's death, we'd like to thank our last sponsors for today. So even though Ray's injuries were consistent with a fall from a high point, his death was ruled undetermined by the medical examiner. So Allison claims that she actually met with a medical examiner at one point And the medical examiner told her something very interesting. She says, quote, I met with the medical examiner and I closed the door. And she said, I know what they're trying to do and we are not closing this case. Whoa. Yeah. That's interesting. Because clearly they think there is something more to this here. It just needs more investigation. Allison goes on to say that they said that what wasn't consistent with the fall was the way that his shins were broken. And that's all she would say to her. So clearly the medical examiner saw enough evidence to suggest this could possibly be foul play Mm -hmm. because I guess apparently the way the shins were broken, that wasn't consistent with uh, a fall like that. And I guess they were saying that in order for that to happen, it would have had to have been a straight, like a directly straight feet first drop where your feet are hitting first in order to break the shins like that. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a way to do that, I guess, from off of the building because he would have had to jump out and over. Right. To get far enough because the landing point is so far from the top of the building. Right. Like he humanly could not have possibly made it just by jumping feet first. And it just doesn't make any sense. If you were to jump off that building, it would have probably been more of like a 
a tumbling fall. Yeah. You know, or was he pushed or was he dropped out of something? Right. Exactly. So that's what they start to look at. But the police obviously are leaning towards this as a probable suicide. And they just straight up stopped actively pursuing leads in the case. Like they just stopped investigating it, which is very weird because, you know, soon after they do this, there more and more stuff starts trickling out. And obviously in any case, if the medical examiner rules it as undetermined, Mm -hmm. then that means the police should still be actively investigating that case. Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out. So there might be something more going on there and a reason for why the police didn't want to continue investigating this case. Mm -hmm. A lot of people speculate that maybe there's some sort of cover up even involved with this. Yeah. You never know. You never know. That stuff does happen. And with how weird this case is, I mean, something is going on that isn't right. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's absolutely what's going on here. There's something not right. There's missing pieces. And I think there's definitely some type of cover up. Right. In order for the suicide theory to even make sense, he would have had to go up 14 stories to the very top of the Belvedere building, which again, at the top of the building, there is no like railings or anything. So Mm -hmm. you could very much jump off of it. But in order to just access that there, he would have had to go through places that were most likely locked doors that were locked. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not like they just let you go to the top of the building. I mean, that's dangerous. Why would they let you do that? Right. And it's also weird to think about, you know, if he did commit suicide, his day doesn't line up with that at all. Like he was talking to people on the phone. He went out and bought a book for dummies. It's almost like you're starting something new. And then, you know, he gets this phone call and just runs out of the house and goes and kills himself. Like (laughs) it's pretty obvious that that is not possible. It just doesn't make any sense. And it seems like his family from the beginning just knew that that wasn't they're like something is is up with this this is Mm -hmm. not he wouldn't do this for one they were like he's just not the kind of guy that would do this and plus they did have all these future plans they're planning to move back to california they're Mm -hmm. planning for a trip god i just wish i knew who this house guest was because they're such an important part of this they were like the last person to see him and you know they said that that call came in they saw how he was acting i mean who is this person and why are they protecting them yeah, it's weird. Normally, that type of person in a case like this would be featured in the you know documentaries, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I get some weird vibes about that. So one of the theories that's out there is that he was mentally unstable, which his family completely disputes. They say mm-hmm. he was completely mentally stable, and he didn't suffer from depression or any other type of disorder, and so there would be no reason for him to end his life. Mm-hmm. Now we do know that obviously just because somebody, you know, isn't diagnosed with that or shows outwardly that they're depressed, that they're internally, there's not, you know, a crisis going on. So, I mean, there's always a possibility, but with the rest of the information we have here, it just does not make sense. Yeah. And not only that, if Ray were to take his life, why would he go to the top of the Belvedere building and jump off? He was deathly afraid of heights. Yeah. So there's, I'm really afraid of heights. There's no way. So if you're suicidal, would you even do that? No, that doesn't make sense. There'd be another way that you would do it. And it's just weird, like random time of the day. It's just, it does not sit well with me. I mean, I think, I don't know if anyone, I didn't read any theories online that said they really think he committed suicide. No. Did you? No. No. I mean, nobody's out there like trying to argue that that's what happened because it's so so obvious obvious that he didn't. So another reason for why people don't believe he commits suicide is because 
a lot of people in a lot of cases, if they do take their own life, they do leave a suicide note behind of some kind. Now, when Angel is actually searching for clues in Ray's office, he actually did discover a note which was taped behind his computer. Now, this note wasn't, you know, some uh, a normal, I guess, suicide note, like where it's, you know, saying goodbye and love your family. This was a very, very bizarre letter mm -hmm. that Ray had written. And it was addressed to, quote, brothers and sisters and in incorporated terms used by the Freemasons. Mm. And the letter actually began by saying, brothers and sisters, right now around the world, volcanoes are erupting. What an awesome sight, whom virtue unites death will not separate. That's a very strange thing to say. So that last phrase, whom virtue unites death will not separate, is actually a Latin motto that they engrave into Masonic rings. And then after that, the letter just gets more and more bizarre. He goes on to say, that was a well-played game. Congratulations to all who participated, but it was time to wake up. So here I am. Life is a test to see if you can control your spirit. Take care and enjoy the festivities. Super uh, weird. Okay. I guess that's kind of enlightening a little bit. He also referenced TV shows, books, music, movies that he liked, including The Game, yeah. which is a movie. Mm -hmm. And he listed several famous people who had died, including Stanley Kubrick and Christopher Reeve. The letter was also filled with cryptic references. Ray said, I stand before you a man who understands the purpose and value of our secrets. That's why I cherish them as secrets. Wow. There it you also, go. Yeah. Yeah. It also included a long list of Ray's family members, though he left out several close relatives. So obviously when his brother's reading this and Allison are reading this, they're very confused. They're like, why would he leave out certain people? Mm -hmm. Like this doesn't make sense for a suicide note at all. Ray then goes on to ask the undefined brothers and sisters to make himself and everyone else on this list five years younger. He also mentioned his friend Porter Stansberry. And he wrote, before I continue with my instructions for the council and the prize for my service, I'd like to allow Porter Stansberry to choose his prize. And he also continued to repeat the phrase, well done, Porter. And he typed the letter in a very tiny font. The font size is so small that it almost makes it difficult to read. Very small. And then he printed out this letter, tore off pieces of it until it was about seven inches long. And then he folded the paper several times and covered it in plastic before taping it behind his computer. Okay, what the fuck? That's very weird. I'm really curious to see what people think about this or if anyone has a better idea of what he was trying to do with this. It's so weird. Yeah. It, it really doesn't make any sense at all. Like no. if he was, he was doing this prior to the phone call mm -hmm. because he couldn't have like whipped this out in like a minute. No. Like clearly this would have taken some time to write. Mm -hmm. So he had clearly been working on this throughout the day. But the question is at which point did he actually tape this to the back of it? Maybe, mm -hmm. Maybe it was taped prior. I mean, we don't know yeah, exactly no. when he wrote it, but according to Allison, she believes that he wrote it that okay. day because there was the scraps of paper that he tore off were actually in the trash still. Wow. So that's how she thinks that she knows that it was written that day. But why? What was the purpose of this letter? And even the FBI studied this letter. They sent it off to see if there was some type of code being used because you could mm, almost mm -hmm. look at this and think, okay, maybe this is written in code yeah. of some sort, but nobody's been able to come to the conclusion that there, this is a coded message at all. So in regards to the suicide theory, it's also important to note that the actual structure of the hotel doesn't support uh, this theory either. 
The hotel had a mansard roof, which is a complex roof design with four sides, and each side has an upper slope and a lower slope, with the lower slope being very steep. And to get from the top roof to the roof below where Ray landed, he would have had to take a running start. So bear in mind that we do know that Ray was wearing flip-flops or maybe he took them off and he was barefoot if he had been, you know, running to jump off of the Belvedere building. But even, you know, running at full speed, mm-hmm. the amount of momentum he would need to get to to where the hole is on that lower annex is yeah. nearly impossible. It is for impossible. him to get there. You just can't make that jump. And Ray's brother, Angel, actually talked with Belvedere staff, and they agreed that based on how Ray landed on the lower roof, he he had to have been pushed off of the building from a different point mm-hmm. instead of him running and jumping off. But unfortunately, these employees spoke off of the record, and as far as Angel knew, they didn't take this information to the police. They believe that he could have made it onto the lower roof he had jumped from a window ledge on the 11th floor. But in order to get to the ledge he would have needed to go through a private room or office to gain access. So even if he did make it to a window, it would have been very difficult for him, a six foot five man to crawl through this little opening in the window and then walk potentially barefoot or with flip flops on this ledge, 11 stories up to a point where he would jump off. And why would you do that? It makes no sense. Yeah. That'd be extremely difficult. Plus someone would have seen you. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all condos. Somebody yeah. would have seen There's a man people everywhere. Windows. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Seen a guy walking along the ledge to then jump off or seen him jump off. Mm-hmm. What's also suspicious though, is that the Belvedere staff were not able to supply security video footage, even though there was cameras on the roof in order to help them piece together what happened to Ray. The building had an advanced system that covered all entry points and many other public spaces, including the stairwells. But a mysterious technical error corrupted the footage, and the police weren't able to recover any of the system's data. Such bullshit. I'm so sick of hearing about that. It happens like every case. Their cameras aren't working. It's something's broken. Something's corrupt. Which, then again, maybe there's something more there. Maybe that's on purpose. It is on purpose, I think. What's interesting, though, is that Makita Brotman, who was a resident at the Belvedere, lived on the fifth floor in a unit that overlooked the hole in the roof that Ray's coworkers discovered. And on the night that Ray died, she said she heard a loud crashing sound outside her window around 10 PM. She didn't investigate, but it was odd enough that she wrote about it in her journal. And even after coming forward with this information and after they found Ray's body, the police never questioned Makita because they just pretty much chalked us up to a suicide and stopped investigating it altogether. But her vantage point to the crime scene allowed her to watch the investigation unfold in real time. She watched the police try to recreate the alleged suicide jump from the upper roof to the lower roof. And when the police left for the day, she ended up wandering down to the crime scene. It wasn't closed off or roped off, so she could get very close to the hole where Ray fell. And she noticed right away that the hole seemed much larger from the inside than the outside. At least half of the lower roof had collapsed by this point. This is very, very interesting because one theory is that Ray maybe was dropped from a helicopter to his death. That's what you think. I thought that right away when I saw this. I was like, (laughs) he must have been dropped from a helicopter. I mean, it makes sense. And then you think back to the fact that Porter had, you know, flown into their wedding on a private helicopter. He clearly had access to those. Right. And what a, what a perfect way to commit a murder too, because there's absolutely no evidence. There's someone out of a helicopter. Yeah. Whoa, I don't know. That's so crazy. What's crazy to me is that 
the police never considered this. I don't think they ever investigated this angle because I'm sure there's some records. Well, that's the thing too, is that you can't just go like get somebody's records. You know, you Mm -hmm. need probable cause to search somebody for that. But I bet you there's record of a helicopter flying around that area that night somewhere. Yeah. And they just never went and found it because they didn't think they needed to. I wonder though, if someone, well, I guess it's hard to say. Cause I, my thought with that was, you know, wouldn't someone have heard a helicopter? Wouldn't someone have reported something like that, but it could have been high enough up that no one would have seen it or heard it. Yeah, Is absolutely. That possible? Absolutely. And that's how he, wouldn't he be like a little more, even more injured and damaged? No. Well, I mean, he was, yeah, he was, he was really bad. bad. It, it was as if he was dropped straight from, you know, straight down feet first, mm-hmm. almost like making somebody walk off a plank. You know how like pirates yeah. used to do that? Like maybe walk they just out. made him walk off or they just, they just him. dropped him. Maybe he was already dead and they just dropped him from the helicopter. That's possible as well. But that's so weird. Mm-hmm. A weird way to get rid of a body, drop them into a city. Well, they know that he's going to be so messed up that there's going to be no way for them to determine. That is odd. <laughs> anything else prior happened because his body's going to be so mangled. I mean, his body was in horrible, horrible shape. I mean, there's, he was almost unrecognizable from the injuries that he had. I just can't believe it took six days for them to find it. Like nobody in the hotel, no residents looked out their windows before those six days to see a hole. I know. But some people question this helicopter theory because if you were going to do, you know, get rid of somebody's body, you're right by the harbor in Baltimore. So why wouldn't you just go fly out over the ocean and drop them into the ocean, you know, where nobody would ever find them. Mm -hmm. And the answer to this might be simple though. Ray was pushed out of the helicopter and he wasn't dead yet. And pushing him onto the street or a building guaranteed his death. So maybe they thought if he dropped him into the water, he would survive. And that would just, you know, he would be able to tell everybody what happened to him. That's so odd. Mm Mm-hmm. Or maybe his fall was a result of a struggle of some kind. If Ray had been kidnapped or if he was being threatened in some way, he would have likely tried to defend himself. And maybe the perpetrator may have pushed him out by accident during a fight or on purpose in order to get rid of him. A former staff member of the Belvedere building, Gary Shivers, was actually asked about the possibility of Ray being dropped from a helicopter. And given how his body landed and the building's architecture, Gary said, that's the only possible thing I can think of. The slope of Belvedere's route not only made it impossible for Ray to have jumped himself, but it also made it extremely difficult, if not impossible, for someone to push him hard enough for him to land in that spot on the lower roof. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense that his glasses and his phone were virtually fine, you know, just Mm -hmm. fine. No. Like in either of those scenarios. So then somebody went down there and placed after after the fact. Helicopter. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. No, because. You, they, you know, if you did that, you probably would have thought somebody would yeah. have heard it or noticed somebody dropping to the ground there. And that is so weird. Why would they risk going back to the ground and having somebody run over and throw his stuff there? That's There's what's so weird. No way. And why? Why wouldn't they just get rid of his stuff? Right. Like, why leave it there? Yeah. Or make it try to stage it like a suicide? This seems like a very so difficult weird. way to stage a suicide. So the medical examiner also noted that the broken bones and raised shins were not likely caused by a fall. The lacerations on Ray's body were straight, long cuts. It looked as though his body had slid through the hole in the roof rather than crashing through it. 
And that's another thing that came to my mind as well is mm -hmm. maybe this hole was just made artificially. Like yeah. maybe Ray didn't actually go through the hole at all and he was just brutally murdered and they somehow staged the scene. You know, if it was a staged scene, they maybe put the they put the, the hole in the ceiling in some way. To make it look like he did a committed a suicide. Right. Mm. I don't know though. That's like just seems like so much work. Yeah. We could just drop him in the ocean if you really, you know, I don't understand. And when did somebody hear somebody like putting a hole in a roof? Yeah. Or, or see yeah. something like when did they do that in the middle of the night or something? And I if they drop possible. something to break it, you know, that, that object would have been found. Yeah. I don't know. It's super weird. It doesn't make any sense. This case really makes my brain hurt. Mm hmm. But again, it's important to note that the homicide detective who originally worked on Ray's case Michael Bear actually did say he believed the scene was staged. So if Ray was murdered, then he must have had some enemies. One theory speculates that Ray's death is related to his time working for Agora Incorporated. Maybe when he left his house, he was rushing to meet someone from the company. This is less likely since he was wearing casual clothes and flip-flops and didn't bother changing into mm -hmm. some nicer clothes. Or it could be an indication of how desperate he was. In 2005, Ray was the Rebound Report editor, which was a financial newsletter published by Agora as a part of his job, which recommended stocks for people to buy. But some of these stocks that he recommended weren't doing well, and Ray actually felt guilty that people could be buying these stocks based on his advice and losing money. But soon after leaving Agora, the company actually came under investigation for disseminating false stock information and defrauding public investors. And this case actually went to trial in 2005. And in 2007, the company was ordered to pay $1.5 million in compensation for the victims and civil penalties. So is it possible that because of this bad advice that Ray gave in this newsletter that people were really pissed off because they lost a lot of money and maybe people involved with this company wanted to take care of them? I don't know. It just seems like a very weird yeah, reason really to go and like murder somebody. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess people get murdered over money all the time, so yeah. it's definitely possible. But I mean, money makes people do crazy things for sure. It does. But I don't know. It, how much money was lost there? I know. Or maybe it was just Porter was upset because his company was now, you know, has a horrible reputation mm. and was being sued. So maybe Porter or somebody else that worked for Agora or owned Agora wanted to, you know, Ray taken care of as a result of, of that court case. But at the end of the day, a lot of people really speculate about the bizarre letter that he wrote mm -hmm. because what the hell was that? And I know, why really? What, and why do you put it in plastic? Why do you tape it to the laptop? Yeah. It's very, so very weird. weird. A lot of people think he was struggling with an undiagnosed illness, a mental illness of some sort. I was going to say, I mean, it could be possible. His letter didn't make a whole lot of sense either. No. And it seemed very emotional and kind of like he had been up in his head for a while, just thinking about a lot of different things and life and the meaning of it, you know, yeah. deep thoughts. Somebody actually suggested it, just a fan of this case suggested that Maybe he was struggling from something called Truman Show delusion, which psychology today explains is when people believe they are in a TV show like scenario. Oh, like on the Truman Show. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Because, I've never heard of that. Because based on all of the film references that are in his letter. Oh, yeah. A lot of people think that he maybe like believed he was in some sort of 
re, like alternate reality where he's like playing this game. Like he's that so was a well-played game. Congratulations yeah. to all who participated, yeah. huh? But it's time to wake up. So here I am. Life is a test to see if you can control your spirit, take care and enjoy the festivities. Yeah. I mean, something deep is going on here. He's having some very complex thoughts and all the Freemason stuff. Why is he all of a sudden like mm -hmm. super interested in the Freemasons? I wonder if he knew something like he just had information or had come across something he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. One or maybe the, or maybe he's referring to the whole game as, you know, this financial thing that's been going on that he found out about. Yeah. You know, some type that's of what, scheme. Right. Some people think he, he like just came across some information he wasn't mm -hmm. supposed to know about maybe major criminal activity that, his former company and Porter was involved in. And but you think you'd write in the note, like I might be targeted by so-and-so because I right. know this. And he, you know, it's like weird things to write in a note. If you knew, why wouldn't you leave understand. more direct clues? It seems like his mind was really complex at the time. Like he, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he just had a lot going on mm -hmm. and it makes you think there must've been something in his life yeah. making him think so deeply and, well, maybe he was in the recruitment process for the Freemasons when all this huh. went down. So weird. And I just don't understand this. Maybe, uh, I mean, some people think oh, literally the Freemasons like took him out because mm. part of one of the rules is you're not supposed to obviously share any secrets or anything like that with the general public. And even if you do that in code, so some people think because he wrote this letter in code, maybe, you know, there is a Freemason out there that can decipher it that it's like written in some type of secret code of theirs. And maybe this blank check he left with the letter could have been a ways or means to pay his initiation fee to join the Freemasons. What the hell? That is weird. But the rest of the letter doesn't really make sense with that. Yeah. All the films and stuff just doesn't like, I don't know. I don't know. it was just like a bunch of references to movies that Allison confirmed that he actually liked it. Like it wasn't some random obscure things they were all things that he actually was into so he really wrote it some think that ray's letter could be no letter at all but instead a script for a speech uh, based on the dramatic opening line which is consistent with the pattern of speech writing the brothers and sisters right now around the world volcanoes are erupting what an awesome sight but at the end the writing gets harder to read because the font size gets smaller and the last line of the letter likely said and specifically let me say that i expect M night Shyamalan to continue coming up with great ideas and great movies. I certainly enjoyed his movies, the sixth sense, the village, the others signs unbreakable, but then other lines just sound like total nonsense when you read them aloud. Mm -hmm. Even that kind of sounds like nonsense. I mean, mm -hmm. What was the point of writing that down? Who are you talking to? Yeah. So odd. It's very weird. Now this is interesting though. So when you look at this letter, somebody figured out that, the way that he wrote the letter, if you kind of look oh. at it in this way, mm -hmm. it spells out help. Mm -hmm. because, oh, it's so weird how it's cut on the end. It's kind of cut like the, the yeah. part of a P. Why know. would he tear it? Why do you tear oh. pieces off of it if he wasn't trying to do this, though? Hmm. It does kind of look like that. But it's very loosely look like you could draw it in a couple places mm -hmm. and kind of get like mm -hmm. H and E and L. It's not like it's just grasping at straws. Yeah, I think so. But probably one of the most interesting things, and this has become a theory in itself is Ray's reference to the David Fincher film, the game. 
Now, the game is a mystery action thriller released in 1997, and the plot is about a wealthy man who receives the gift of playing the game from his brother. And the similarities and coincidences between Ray's life and the film are very striking. The protagonist has a personal history with suicide. He witnessed his father's suicide when he was younger. Mm. And after being psychologically tortured by the game, the character jumps off a building and falls through a second roof made of glass. But none of it is real. It's all a part of the game. Whoa, yeah. And that scene, if you've never seen it before, is, yeah, it's literally what we think could have happened to Ray falling through that building at a hotel. Very much the same way. He must have, I mean, why would he... It's like, okay, maybe he was a big fan of the movie and he wanted to like recreate it. But, but he why knows would, that there's not glass. He knows it's not the same situation. Well, a, some people speculate that maybe Ray thought there was a pool in that annex because oh, there wasn't. used to one. have a pool. Right. Wouldn't he but, check? But yeah, wouldn't you check? And I don't know. That's, he thought he was going to go through a metal roof and be fine. And he just all day is doing all this weird shit. And then at 630 gets a call to go and jump off a roof to jump in a pool and reenact a game. It just doesn't make any sense to me, No, but I don't understand. I've never seen that movie, so it's hard for me to even, but maybe if you're dealing, you know, you have that Truman delusion, uh, disorder or whatever, maybe. or something other type of mental I'd illness. I'd like to know more about that. that though. I don't, I've never really heard of that and I don't know how much that's actually been studied or I'd like to hear some other cases of people who've yeah. had that Truman delusion. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, but even if that is the case and he was recreating the game, it still doesn't make sense. He couldn't have made that jump. No. No. There was no tangible way that he could Mm -mm. make it out alive after doing that. Yeah. So, and and even his family. I mean, his family has even obviously read about this theory and and they're like, like, there's no, we can't find any tangible connection between this movie and his death. There's just nothing there. Mm-hmm. It's definitely interesting to consider because yeah, there is a lot of similarities between mm-hmm. the movies that he mentioned and the way that he dies potentially um, throughout all the different films that he put in there between eternal sunshine, and the spotless mind about people who choose to permanently erase painful memories from the past. Um, so maybe, you know, there is a reason he put these in there because there is a lot of things he was dealing with in his life and they're all sort of clues to give us a a perspective on what he was thinking mm-hmm. at this point in time. I think there could definitely be some type of connection there, but do I think there's a direct connection between the movie references and his death? I, I don't necessarily think so. So people have even come up with a theory uh, involving the M night Shyamalan movies that Ray included in this letter and somehow uh, by putting these different pieces together and these different M night Shyamalan movies together that basically all signs point to him saying, basically saying that the people responsible for his death was Stansbury research and Porter uh, because of all these different numbers. I don't even want to go through it. It's very complicated. I'll leave a, we'll put a picture of it in there so you can kind of look at it in a link. But um, apparently if you go through all these movies that, through these different uh, years and difference between when the movies come out that it spells out the address of Stansbury research based on what he mentioned in his letter. I mean, that's complicated though to, it's very complex. If you're going to, why wouldn't you just write down the address? Yeah. If you're going to be dead, right. Just write it down. Right. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. That's very, very weird. So obviously Ray's wife, Allison was completely just, 
taken aback by what had happened. And she was extremely upset that the police weren't investigating it and that it was very clear to her that something mm-hmm. foul play happened to him. Something happened. It wasn't just suicide. So Allison went through all of his journals looking for clues, but she never did find anything that explained what happened to him. So earlier we mentioned Makita Brotman, who was a resident at the Belvedere hotel. She actually went on to write a book called an unexplained death, the true story of a body at the Belvedere. And while researching her book, Makita became obsessed with the building's dark past. The Belvedere is considered one of the most haunted buildings in the state and is part of the Mount Vernon walking ghost tours. Multiple suicides and deaths have occurred at the Belvedere. And there's been a lot of deaths that are kind of similar to what happened to Ray as far as jumping off the building, falling through the building. And there's a lot of different instances of just people committing suicide there as well. And it's interesting that there's even a paranormal aspect to this as well. And maybe, maybe that plays into this as well. You know, kind of like Lisa, Lisa lamb and the Cecil hotel. Maybe there's something, you know, Mm -hmm. more paranormal happening here too. I'm honestly surprised this case isn't as popular as Elisa Lambs because it's so similar in so many ways. It really is. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised too, that it's not as popular. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it, well, it is pretty popular online. Well, now that it's gotten on unsolved mysteries and stuff. Yeah. It's definitely given it new life for sure. Mm -hmm. But what's probably most suspicious about this whole thing is that as the police continued their investigation into Ray's death, Agora Incorporated allegedly put a gag order on all employees about the case, including those who worked with Ray at Porter's company in Baltimore. Hmm. The company has officially denied this claim, but nobody at the company has spoken to police, has given them any information. Porter refuses to give them any information regarding, you know, this case whatsoever or Ray. And I wonder if that house guest has anything to do with that company. Or was yeah, another person I'm, I'm wondering, there? Or yeah, that's definitely maybe it was yeah. even Porter. I mean, maybe. I can't, if that was, yeah, the case, that I'm be, sure it would be yeah. out there, but yeah, it's just weird. And off the record, Porter Stansbury has allegedly said that they didn't want employees talking to the police or media because the company wanted quote, the entire situation to just die down and not make it a big media event, which that this guy so was bad. like best friends with, yeah. with Ray. Yeah, supposedly. Like, oh, this is an inconvenience. Why wouldn't you be trying to do everything you possibly can to sketchy vibes to find out the truth about what happened to one of your best friends deaths? Like what happened to them? If there is even an inkling that somebody murdered him, why wouldn't, why wouldn't Porter be leading the charge for that and helping Allison? But they've completely cut communication. They don't talk to each other at all. He moved away even like he's definitely tried to distance himself from this whole event. Apparently early on though, Porter did speak to the media uh, briefly. And according to Allison, he spread rumors that her and Ray had been in marriage counseling and that Ray had psychological issues. Hmm. I'd also seen, uh, there was rumors that potentially Ray was having a gay affair with somebody at the Belvedere hotel. And, but it's important to note there's no proof of that. And there's no proof of Ray ever even being inside the hotel. Yeah. There's no footage of him on surveillance Mm -hmm. cameras that were working. There's nobody that saw him go through the hotel Allison believes that Porter made these statements to the media in order to get the police to ultimately determine that Ray most likely died of suicide. Porter has actually recently spoke publicly about Ray's death for the first time since 2006, obviously following this release of the unsolved mysteries reboot. 
And Porter said that he felt like the show implied that he was involved in his friend's death and said he was shocked and hurt by this. He also said that the reason I've never commented about Ray's death publicly first and foremost is because I never thought there was any mystery about why or how he died. What? Which I'm like, what? Have what you been paying attention at all? about? Then yeah. explain it, Porter. Yeah. This is so weird. And why wouldn't you help clear this up mm-hmm. or prove that it was suicide? Why wouldn't you be more involved in the investigation? And obviously, Allison is very skeptical of this. She questioned why Porter never spoke up before and why he hasn't tried to contact her since June of 2006. Wow. Shortly after his body was found. Why wouldn't you be there for her? It's not like she immediately assumed it was him or like made him out to be a suspect. Why would you avoid her and just disappear like that? You'd be there for your friend, you know, and and their wife who is alone now. It just doesn't make any sense. No. And then we also found out Agora had hired a PR team yeah. Uh, a crisis management team. Yeah, they did. Right before this Netflix thing came out. Yeah. Which, I mean, you could say like, okay, that's they just standard. Knew but inherently there'd be stuff coming in, but. I don't know. It seems like they're really trying to protect themselves. And yeah. I would not be shocked if it had something to do with that job. Yeah. Well, not only that, both Allison and the detective, Michael Bear, who had worked originally on the case, remember Porter dodging calls from police in the weeks after his death. And they also believe that they put a he put a gag order on all of his employees shortly after his body was found as well. Uh, yeah. What's also interesting too is that, as far as Allison knows and remembers, Porter never attended either of the two memorial services that they had for him. Yeah, explain that. that what's that about? No That's way. very suspicious, if you ask me. Very. So at the end of the day. What happened to Ray? What's the most, what do you think is the most plausible theory for his death? I mean, I don't know. I, of course, don't really understand physics that well. So the whole him having fallen out of the sky is confusing to me. I don't understand how exactly that would work or I don't know what to compare it to. I don't know a lot about how people end up when they fall through buildings, but well, I, I it mean, doesn't happen that often. I know that people fall through <laughs> exactly a roof. But. I know, but I mean, to me, the most logical does sound like possibly a helicopter, especially because yeah. he would rent them. He had them. Yeah, he flew on them. We know for a fact he did. And I just don't think he jumped or fell or was pushed because it just doesn't make any sense. Again, I don't have a super great understanding of physics, yeah. but I mean. It, it doesn't add up. No. Is it possible that he was lured somewhere? Like they lured mm-hmm. him to go to a place for, you know, that call. Cause I keep yeah. going back to that call. That call yeah. Whatever happened on that mm-hmm. call. If we only knew what was said or who called would lead us, I think to the answer, because yeah. I think he was brought, you know, somebody met him maybe at the parking lot mm-hmm. where he parked his car and abducted him at that point and then maybe took him to a helicopter and then, you know, waited till, you know, late at night or, or whatever, or and I'm sure people can poke holes in that theory too. Like, it's I mean, just, you can poke holes in all the theories. I don't, at the end of the day, really have any idea. Another I would, theory. I just don't understand. No, I, I don't think we'll ever understand. I mean, another theory that's out there. A lot of people believe is that, uh, maybe at the top of that parking structure, something happened and Ray ended up actually getting hit by a vehicle. Right. And we did talk about, you this. know, the vehicle was going at 25 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And if it were to, 
you know, break right before the edge of that parking structure, then after Ray gets hit, he could have been thrown Pushed the further. 20 feet or whatever yeah. away from that edge that, to the hole that. and fell through the hole. But I'm like, the question comes down to at what was the force at which you'd have to fall mm-hmm. from those different levels or heights in order to go through that roof. And I'm just surprised like they didn't conduct all these experiments and right. try to like the police should be doing, you know, that. 260 pound bag, bag, which would, you know, how much Ray weighed mm-hmm. and drop it from those different things to see if it makes another hole in the roof. Mm-hmm. Cause I think the whole hole in the roof is like where the answer lies of yeah. you know, how did he die? Was he killed before? And they staged that scene or was he in fact dropped from a height or did he jump? I have no idea personally. I really want to hear what you guys have to say about this case. Uh, definitely leave us your opinions in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. Or you can even tweet at us and let us know what you think if you're listening at Mile Higher Pod. Yeah, we definitely want to know what you guys think about this. For me, I'm still torn between the different theories, but I think I have to stick with my gut. And that is that he was dropped out of a helicopter. Wow. I think that makes sense and makes the most sense to me. His injuries are consistent with a, a traumatic fall from a great height. It's really the only way that I can see somebody going through a roof is if you're dropped from extremely high point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, otherwise I really don't see any, how anything else really plays out yeah. uh, and makes sense in all of this. Do you have any theories, Janelle? Um, no, I was just going to kind of say, I don't know. The helicopter thing really weirds me out. But the thing that makes me believe it could be true is the fact that there is the hole. Cause like you said, Josh, like I'm, I don't know, even though he's, you know, 260 pounds, that's the roof's gotta be pretty weak to yeah. break through with that. I thought he would kind of like bounce off of it or something. So yeah. I don't know, I guess the helicopter thing, if he was up high enough, then he got like enough momentum going. Yeah. Definitely let us know what you guys think, but we'll go ahead and wrap it up there today. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the mile higher podcast. Also, be sure to check out that episode on Unsolved Mysteries if you haven't seen it. It mm-hmm. definitely is interesting to, you know, see Allison talk about it. And obviously, you know, our thoughts go out to her and having to to go through this is yeah. definitely traumatic and just horrible. I can't uh, imagine not having answers like that. I know. Or not even to what happened. No. And just the fact the police won't do anything about it. It's clearly something happened. There's foul play here, clearly. If this happened to you, I'd be on a mission the rest of my life to figure yeah. it out. And Especially she, when he left all these clues. Right. It's yeah. so weird. Again, sunglasses and the phone yeah. were not broken. What's very, the deal very with that? Odd. Very, very odd. odd. But be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes. It does really help us out. Follow us on Spotify. And until next time, stay safe. And stay woke. Stay woke.